0: Drink Wine, Vancouver! After a beatdown in Beantown the other night, this one was more of a letdown in Motown as the Vancouver Ducks took a 3-1 lead in the third period, but couldn't make it stand up and the Detroit Red Wings on a penalty shot in overtime... Defeat the Canucks four to three. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It is a presentation of the Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. Usually we're in the lower lobby at our studio, but uh, working remotely on this podcast, still, we like to tell you about the Wall Center. Meeting space at the Wall Center sets the tone for productive business events in downtown Vancouver. For more information, email sales at wallcenter.com. It's Jeff Patterson joined once again by Irfan Gafar on this Super Bowl weekend, a busy weekend for the Vancouver Canucks. They're going to have to turn around and shake this one off, get ready to take on the Washington Capitals on Sunday. But, Earth, lots to talk about. Uh, Certainly the Canucks and the Red Wings providing us with plenty of talking points, including a penalty shot in overtime. And Jake Wallman puts the dagger down, does in the Vancouver Canucks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jake Wallman hitting the gritty. I mean, look, like you mentioned, this game definitely had it all. It was entertaining You know, early points of the game, you thought the Vancouver Canucks, oh, no, when they got scored on early, but they fight their way back and they build a lead. And you say, okay, this kind of looks like the Vancouver Canucks a little bit. This is a team that was there. And then the Detroit Red Wings turn around and fight their way back and prove to some people why they are where they are in the standings. And and they're a pretty good hockey team right now as well. So lots to dive into. But uh, yeah, all in all, it was it was a very entertaining game for a Saturday afternoon affair.
0: Yeah, and for the longest time this season, we all trumpeted this record of the Vancouver Canucks unblemished when they took a lead to the third period. Uh, A couple of knocks in it now. Still not an outright loss, but Columbus was the first team at the tail end of that seven-game road trip in January, and they came back and beat the Canucks in a shootout that afternoon. This one didn't get to a shootout, although it was decided one-on-one player against goaltender, and as we mentioned, Jake Wallman with his 11th of the season, 23 seconds into OT after Quinn Hughes I mean, I guess he impedes him. They call it a cross-check. Uh, I'm not surprised there was a penalty on the play. Uh, I don't think you're going to leave that completely allowed to go untouched. I mean, Wallman had a step on Hughes, and Hughes interfered with him. But they call it a cross-check, whatever the case. They point to Santa Rice, and sure enough, Jake Wallman, an 11-goal score, but he looked like a 40-goal score. Like, that was some nice finish there, Snapped at home past Casey to Smith, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I thought in that second period, obviously, the turning point was the the five-minute, turning into a seven-minute penalty kill after the uh, match penalty to Nikita Zadorov and the high-sticking penalty to Philip Hironik. And look, I thought for a while, like, you know, the Canucks looked like they got their swagger back. They looked like that team that rolled through New York City and into Pittsburgh a month ago. Yeah, I mean, third period, you know, the Wings get the early one, the Daniel Sprong goal and tail end of the power play that you know, a weak call. And I think the Canucks have a legitimate beef that, you know, there were some calls. Like, Nils Hoaglander gets sent to the penalty box there. I'm not sure that that's a penalty. Whatever the case, the Red Wings able to chip away, and at the late stages of the power play, they score. Daniel Sprung alone in front of the net, and, you know, he's just, wherever he goes in the National Hockey League, that just scores goals, and he's up to 14 now. And, and that got the Red Wings within one with a lot of time left, and then, uh, you know, we haven't seen a ton of breakdowns from the Vancouver Canucks defensively most of this season. They've been pretty strong. There were a few the other night in Boston, obviously. But Michael Rasmussen allowed to win the battle on the boards and then walk unimpeded to the front of the net. Niels Hoaglander and Quinn Hughes is kind of... And I know they're not the biggest Canucks, and he is one of the biggest forwards in the National Hockey League, but somebody's got to tie him up, take his stick, whatever the case. And Rasmussen just allowed to stand his ground in front of the net, redirects the shot past Casey Smith. And all of a sudden at 3-3 now, you know, the Canucks are right back into a hockey game again. So a uh, couple of blips there in the third period after such a strong penalty kill in the second that allowed them to get the traction they
1: were looking for to take the 3-1 lead. No, absolutely. And I think that, look, the second period was that was a great period for the Vancouver Canucks. I, I definitely do agree with you. I mean, the Hoaglander goal, obviously, and then Roenick against his former team thing on the breakaway. Those dangles were absolutely you know, <laughs> silky mitts there from Philip Roenick. and then so much talk about Elias Pettersson and you know the five on five, and then things of that nature. You know, all three of his points I believe were five on five today. So I yep. mean, there's kind of that narrative going a little out the window. But it was the third period, Jeff. It, it was were they maybe a little bit too complacent? Was it the Red Wings just pouring it on? I mean, Canucks obviously got a little unlucky there on, on the P- on the power play, so they might have some beef, like you just mentioned. And then you go into overtime. Look, I think it's a penalty, probably, but it's a soft call for a penalty shot. I don't know. I think the penalty shot call that could have been on Dakota Joshua <laughs> was worse than that was worse than this yeah. one, to be completely honest.
0: No, it's funny. I mean, we talked about that on the last episode, yeah. and here we are again. And and you're right to uh, point to Santa Rice and and Wallman ends it. It's funny. This is uh, the first of two games between these teams in a week. I'm not sure that I was all that. <laughs> anticipating the rematch. Certainly, we talked on the post game the other night uh, about, hey, they don't have to wait long to see the Boston Bruins. When the Canucks get back off this road trip, they move on to Washington, they finish up in Chicago, and then they're home for two and the first of those two is against the same Detroit team and there's a little bit of juice now in this matchup. There was the heat of the Zadorov hit on, on Lucas Raymond. I'm not sure what Alex Dabrinkit really thought he was accomplishing, but he was the one that seemed to want a piece of Ian Cole, but uh, I think learned his lesson in a hurry there that uh, (laughs) there's still some old man strength in in Ian Cole. But uh, yeah, I mean, it had a little bit more heat than I expected between two teams that haven't seen each other this season, only see each other twice. And uh, so we'll see what the rematch brings on Thursday. But, well, let's start at the start because, uh, uh, again, I mean, so much angst about uh, the Canucks giving up shorthanded goals to open the scoring in the last three games. This one wasn't shorthanded, but still, there was plenty of hand-wringing in social circles when Lucas Raymond just absolutely walks Tyler Myers. And Tyler Myers takes a lot of heat in the marketplace, and we always say because of his size, his mistakes are loud, there's nowhere to hide. There was nowhere to hide there either. I mean, you just flat out have to make a better defensive play. You can't allow Lucas Raymond to walk you the way you do and cut to the front of the net and tuck it past Casey DeSmith. So, forty-five seconds in, the Canucks are down a goal—not the start they're looking for after the hand ringing coming out of Boston the other
1: night. And yeah, I mean, that was just that was a tough look on Tyler Myers and poor guy. I he's had a pretty good season for the most part. You know, yeah. he's he's played well, and it, this is just the one where. You know, he just wasn't on his footing, but getting absolutely walked that early into a hockey game, it it was tough. And I agree with you, the social circles were having an absolute field day on Tyler Myers, but... Yeah, it, the, that that was a tough one to start. And then you go down there early and they kind of just didn't really get it back in the first period either, Jeff. Like, you know, the, the, the shot attempts early on, the Canucks only had two shots, three shots, I think, maybe halfway through that period. So it wasn't really the Canucks coming back in there. And then you thought that this one might get away from them, but obviously it didn't after the first period.
0: Yeah, I mean, I made a couple of notes in the first period. Uh, Quinn Hughes and Filip Hironik switched spots at the top of the blue line and... So often when they do that, it just causes confusion yeah. for defenders, and it did, and it allowed Hironic, uh, and man, like, we're going to end up talking a lot about him because he had an afternoon uh, in his first game back in Detroit, but that was maybe the first sort of sign that he was into it and on his game. He had a great look and got a shot away there, and then moments later, the Canucks had a power play, their only power play of the first period. And they didn't score. They didn't give up a shorthanded goal, so maybe that was a step in the right direction. But I actually thought the power play looked good. It generated three shots. They had some looks, but nothing to show for it. And so they get out of the first period, they're down one nothing. And, you know, after getting shut out the other night, now you're looking at, uh, well, okay, that's four periods without a goal. Who's going to step up here? And sure enough, uh, on a day that saw a whole host of changes, and I think that gave you a sense that Rick Taka didn't exactly like what he had seen, even though they won in Carolina you know, they didn't play great there. They played well enough to win, but rode the hot power play that afternoon or, or evening. And so we saw, after so many people screaming for Nils Hooglander to get an opportunity higher in the lineup, Billy Mikheyev to get demoted, Phil Giuseppe activated for the first time since January the 2nd against Ottawa, and that led to a healthy scratch for Sam Lafferty. So a whole lot of changes for the Vancouver Canucks and, and also Casey DeSmith going in goal and not a surprise there. But still, just a bunch of new looks for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, there's Hoglander gets his uh, 15th of the season. Uh, nifty little deflection from the heroic shot. And that was the goal the Canucks needed, obviously, to get back on even terms. And you see it so often at this level earth where Alex DeBrinket lost his stick or broke his stick. And, you know, you have to... Exploit that, and the Canucks did. They worked the puck around and took advantage of the fact that one of the Red Wings was short handed, if you will, and eventually uh, it allowed the puck to get back to Hronik. His shot tipped by Nils Hoaglander, and Hoaglander had an afternoon. I mean, he had the goal the other night that was disallowed, but still putting himself in a position it was a high stick, and we didn't really cover it because uh, it wasn't even reviewed, really. But still, it just, you know, even though that one didn't count the other night, in a position to make something happen offensively. Here he scored in the first period. He rattled one off the sort of the right of the connection there, the crossbar and the post. So, you know, I think people wanted to see that. Hoaglander get an opportunity higher in the lineup. And sure enough,
1: he made some things happen. Well, that was the thing, right? You saw when JT Miller the other day mentioned that skated with Lindy, you know, people kind of joked about what, what the rest of the lineups were going to look like. There wasn't that much media. There's so no one really tweeted out the lines until we saw in the warm up there. But yeah, I was wondering who was going to move up the lineup and, and who was going to kind of get demoted. But I think to be honest, Jeff, that a lot of these guys on this team want to play with Niels Hoaglander because he's so tenacious on the puck. He goes into the areas where other guys don't want to go. He's hard to play against. He's a little guy, but he plays it, he plays a way bigger game. He's got 15 goals on the season, probably gonna get over 20, which is wild for a guy yeah. coming into this season. You didn't really know what his role was gonna be. Him moving up and and getting that opportunity. You can probably think that, you know, for a guy like Sam Lafferty, I don't know if what what you know, uh, Rick Tockett's going to do for tomorrow, or for lower the lineup for for tomorrow against the Capitals. But Hoaglander's is probably on that line to stay.
0: Yeah, and look, I think Sam Lafferty had to recognize that yeah. his play, and and not just like it wasn't great on the shorthanded goal by Martin and Carolina the other day, but that's not why he came out of the lineup. Phil DiGiuseppe's back. I'm sure they wanted to, you know, get him going. A guy that went to the University of Michigan, so a great way to you know turn him loose after uh, missing six weeks with injury in uh, Detroit. He didn't play a lot that fourth line. There were a lot of special teams and in a tight game in the third period. But uh, you know, I thought DiGiuseppe acquitted himself reasonably well, doing the types of things that you need from him, just to getting in, finishing checks, and trying to separate people from the puck. And look, Sam Lafferty, one point in his last eight games. Uh, hadn't scored since the early start in Buffalo at the towards the tail end of that uh, road trip a month ago. So you know, his play had kind of tailed off a little bit. He'll get back in there. I don't know if it'll happen on Sunday in Washington, but you know, now Rick Tockett is able to create that internal competition among the bottom six guys. And certainly if Mikheyev is going to be down there as well, that if your number is on the board and you're sitting out, when you get your chance to get back in there, you're going to have to make more of an impact. And so uh, it be interesting to see when Lafferty gets the opportunity and, and what that looks like when he gets back in there. So as we kind of work our way through that second period, The big event, obviously, was Zdorov catching Lucas Raymond at the Canucks Blue Line. It's head contact. It is. And I I get that Zdorov's a huge guy, and people are going to say, like, oh, big guy. You know, he penalized for being big. The league's trying to eliminate and eradicate head injuries and, and head contact. And so it was contact to the head. Like, I didn't have a problem with the call. I just, I have no idea. And as people listen to a podcast being recorded right after the game, we may get some clarity on what the league thinks. I don't think there should be a suspension. Raymond stayed in the game, or at least he came back into the game. I don't think there was, you know, he wasn't targeted. It was a case of one of the bigger Canucks just lowering the boom on a smaller forward, but he absolutely makes contact with the head. So no issue with the call, but in a one-all game, like what an opportunity for the Red Wings, but what should have been a massive turning point and looked like it was for a while, uh, for the Vancouver Canucks with a penalty kill. And I don't know if this was his best game, but it would be on a short list of best games in the NHL for Noah Julson. I thought he was terrific, mm-hmm. particularly on that penalty kill, uh, broke up what looked like it was going to be a sure tap-in goal at the back door with a nice defensive play. Uh, in fact, led all Canucks, in that five-minute stretch with Zdorov out, he logged more ice time than anybody else in the penalty kill, and that's where he has been able to really carve out a role for himself. So, uh, you know, Noah Julson went 12 straight games without being able to find a spot in the lineup back in the fall, and kind of quietly has worked his way into this conversation on a team full of guys that I think are, you know, in the running to be unsung heroes. But Noah Juleson has looked the part of a depth, legitimate depth nhl most nights out here of late.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I think the thing is, is he's getting in the lineup consistently, right? When you get in and out of the lineup and you go up and down and, and, and things like that, it's, it's tough to find a groove. I mean, you ask any, anyone that, that, that's played and has to go up and down. And I mean, I'm sure Linus Carlson will have a lot to say about that, yeah. right? Guys been up and down from Abbotsford a lot. But I mean, you, you, you look at Noah Juleson and, and, and I agree with you. I, I think the, the PK and being able to carve out that role. And, you know, he's making it difficult for that coaching staff to pull him out of the lineup. And that's obviously a very big positive. I mean, you mentioned it right there. You know, he, he let all skaters a nice time in that little window, but that was probably one of the most important windows of the hockey game for this team being able to kill off that penalty. What did you make of the penalty? Just the call itself or the hit. <sighs> it's tough. I mean, look, it's a, like you mentioned, it's, it's a big guy hitting a littler guy coming through the ice. I think that he almost maybe tried to bail out of it a little bit. If Nikita Zadorov wanted to really, really lay the boom, he totally could have. He absolutely could have went right through him. I think that he knew what he was doing. I think because he got a game, the league's going to look at it. Now, whether it's a suspension or not, we'll, we'll see what happens. But again with the league trying to get rid of headshots and protect its players and its stars and, and things like that, I bet you he does get a talking to from the league or or at least the league's going to look at it. Definitely a penalty just because of what we've seen in past instances around the league this season. So it was definitely a penalty, but unfortunate play. And I mean, the Canucks got lucky. They got the PK was able to bail them out of it. Yeah, it'll be interesting if
0: uh, the league does sit Zorov down. I mean, the Canucks turning around and playing Washington on Sunday, Mark Friedman, who has not played yeah. for the Vancouver Canucks since the Dorov was acquired. His last game, the last time Friedman suited up for the Vancouver Canucks. Now, he went down to Abbey and he had a little conditioning stint. So, there have been a few games here in the last couple of weeks. But the last time he actually played for the Vancouver Canucks was the home game against Vegas on the 30th of November. So, paging Mark Friedman. Get ready. Uh, make sure you can find your skates because uh, you may get the call on Sunday in Washington. So, after the hit, the Canucks have to kill off the major penalty. They think they've done that. And then Philip Aronik tries to bat the puck out of the air. Instead catches uh, Dylan Larkin across the face. And so brief overlap of two-minute, or a five-on-three, rather, a two-man advantage for the Red Wings. Uh, ultimately, seven minutes of power play time, and the Canucks kill it off. And so credit to all the guys uh, we singled out uh juleson but Tyler Myers had a great shorthanded chance as he jumped up ice and took a pass from Elias Lindholm. Cody Joshua just continues to develop into a really solid penalty killer for the Vancouver Canucks. He did some nice work there uh in the second period as well. And then as heronik steps out of the penalty box, the headman passed from Ilya Mkhayev and no mistake. Like absolutely like that was ruthless. That was cool. The finish there. Philip Ronaic back in town and making sure that everybody knew
1: about it. Uh, putting the Canucks up two to one, spectacular goal, stepping out of the penalty box. Absolutely, money on the board game for Philip Ronick. His first game back in in Little Caesars Arena. Obviously, spent a lot of time there in Detroit. But the hands, I mentioned it off the top. <laughs> like you don't see that much from a defenseman. Came in with speed, sprung out on a breakaway, beats line clean. That was a beautiful goal, and obviously he was pumped about it. And we, you mentioned we're going to talk about him a lot because he was all over yeah. the place in this game. He's also lucky that Dylan Larkin wasn't cut. That <laughs> seven minute power play could have been a nine minute power play, and that would have been tough for the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, yeah, beautiful goal. um Just found himself in the right spot, getting out of the box, and then was able to to cash in and then you know make a move. And I saw your your tweet that you know. Uh, <laughs> Philip Roenick's going to go right to the top now of shootout choices for the Vancouver Canucks. And I I would have to agree with you there, Jack.
0: Well, I thought maybe we were going to find out. Uh, Of course, this game didn't advance that far, but... Um, Look, the Canucks still don't have a shootout goal. They've only been to two shootouts and not a single scorer has scored. So I would think that it would still be open auditions. I don't know that they'll uh, roll the dice with a defenseman right out of the gate. But see, that kind of finish. And you just realize the skill level of all these guys, regardless of the position they play. But what an opportunity for Filip Hronik. And put the Canucks in front. And we know that they've been terrific front runners. They had the momentum. And then two minutes after that, obviously, Elias Pettersson... Off the end boards, but, uh, you know, just a good work. Uh, that line up front, obviously, with Hoaglander. Battled, suitor, gets the assist, and there's Pedersen at the side of the net, takes the puck off the end boards and tucks it home for his 28th. And you're right. Like, he had, an off, he had an off night the other night. He knows it. The market certainly has spent 48 hours talking about it, but he hasn't forgotten how to play hockey and be an no. effective player. And so, you know, he wants to do better. And he was able to leave his mark. It's still fairly remarkable to me that he went nine games without a single five-on-five five point, but that storyline, for now, at least put to bed, because you're right, all of his scoring coming at even strength on this ho- on, in this hockey game, a goal, two helpers, plays just under 20 minutes for the Vancouver Canucks in this one, scored on his only shot on goal. He had three attempts on the day, five hits, a couple of blocked shots and goes 8-7 and seven in the faceoff circle. So, you know, that's a pretty complete resume on the day for Elias Pedersen. It's not just, oh, he scored a goal. He was in on all three of the connect goals. But, you know, we see this from him too. Like, the fact that he had five hits, I, I think is a good thing. Like, he's not going to be out there chasing hits, but not shying away from them and sometimes you know, throw the body a little bit, get you into the hockey game. And I think that was a bit of the case here for Elias Pettersson trying to respond to the subpar performance in Boston the other night.
1: Yeah, I think he knew it. And I think we all knew it after Rick Tockett kind of went uh, into the media. I didn't really go off, but he kind of said that guys knew that they needed to be better. And I think we all knew who he was talking about. Elias Pedersen wasn't the only one, but he was definitely one of the few players that his head coach was talking about. And he came in and he made an impact, right? You mentioned the five hits and, you know, Elias Pedersen does throw his body around a little bit. Not Not yep. crazy. Doesn't go looking, as you mentioned, four hits, but... If it's there, he's going to do it. Feel into the hockey game, be able to get onto the score sheet early, I think for him, or sorry, in the second period with that assist makes him feel pretty good. And then, you know, on the Gronick one, and then his goal, right? Getting into a tough place right beside the net, be able to swat that puck, and it was able to go in the net. So for a great second period for a guy that needed it, I think for his confidence, obviously the team needed it before they headed into the third period with that lead. So Elias Pettersson
0: you know, leaves his mark on this game. When you look at others in the box score here for the Vancouver Canucks, you know, no points for JT Miller, no points for Brock Besser. And yet you look a little further over on the stat sheet. The numbers suggest JT Miller had eight shots on goal on 12 attempts and Brock Besser had three shots on goal on eight attempts, 20 shot attempts combined. But most Like, how come I don't remember really any of them? Like, it's wild. It it really was like, I did a total double take when I looked at the the box score at the end of the game and 20 shot attempts for those guys. Miller had that one time blast on the third period power play where he got waved out and he really kind of, he swapped spots with EP40 and then puck came back Hughes to Miller and got a pretty good look there. I remember that one, but eight shots on 12 attempts for JT. And I just, I I don't remember. Sorry. Like he's had lots of nights where
1: absolutely you notice everything he does. I don't recall an awful lot of JT's body of work in this hockey game. No. And you mentioned It's funny because the 20 shot attempts for the two guys and zero to show for it. Not a goal, not an assist. JT, obviously a plus one. But like, I agree. They were nowhere to be found, both of them. I mean, you heard Brock's name a little bit. You missed the net a bunch. I think that was the one thing that you heard. But yeah, the, the JT one was crazy because I really only remember two shots from him in the game. And he got counted for eight. So maybe we'll see the NHL stat correction here. Maybe, maybe they were <laughs> yes. confusing numbers of guys from way up in the press box or, or wherever the statisticians are looking at stats. But that was wild. The snowman there for JT Miller on this
0: game. And just as an aside here, and look, Brock Besser's had an incredible season. Uh, I don't mean this to knock Brock Besser, but it is crazy to me that he has scored in just one of the last 10 games that he's played. Now, the one game that he scored, he had three, including his 30th, so he's going to feast on that for a while, and he is a guy that scores in bunches. We see that, like, you know, the two-goal games and the hat-tricks and the four goals on opening night, so he'll have a few more of those before the season is done, but just in terms of right here, right now, his production has dropped a little bit, and he has scored in the one game in the last 10, and that was the three-goal games that he had against the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Vancouver Canucks fall 4-3 in overtime to the Detroit Red Wings. Jake Wallman on the penalty shot. Back-to-back losses earth. something that we have not seen from this Vancouver Hockey Club since the middle of November. Now they do get a single point so they got something to show for it and they've got three points now on the three games so far uh, out on this road trip after the All-Star break into Washington into Chicago before they come on home. But uh, with the the setback at uh, Little Caesars, they're now 34-12-6 and on the season. There are 30 games remaining for the Vancouver Canucks. They're up to 74 points in the standings. But uh, it is remarkable just to think, Like, and you and I have both covered this team for so long now, the notion that they had not dropped consecutive games since the middle of November, that just blows my mind. And so you tip your cap to the Canucks for the season that they've had, you know, a little bit of pressure, not that they won't be thinking this way at all, but they are the only team in the league that hasn't dropped three in a row at any point this season, so we'll see if they can respond, and look, they did, they responded, three to one, going to the third period, they were looking pretty good, so I think for Rick Tockett, it's still this search that goes back to the homestand that, you know, the complete game hasn't been there for the Vancouver Canucks for... A little too long now, and I think you would put this in that category as well, that they did some good, the penalty kill, the second period to get the lead, but it is a 60-minute game. Sometimes it's longer than that. Uh, This one was 60 minutes and 23 seconds uh, before Jake Wallman won it uh, on the penalty shot no t. but uh, uh, still some work to do for this Vancouver Hockey Club in just in finding the consistency of that sort of full
1: 60-minute hockey game. When, like, this team has built itself reputation of, of being where they are in the standings. They've got so many points. They've banked so many wins. They're miles ahead of, of teams within their division and and everything like that. And we sit here and we talk about the consistencies and, and the things like that and, and the 60-minute the efforts and everything like that, Jeff. But I have to ask you, at what point for this team is it like, okay, so you beat a good team in Carolina. You get smoked by the Bruins. You weren't good in the first period against Detroit. You managed to get a point out of the loss And then you go to Washington. At what point do we really have to look at this team and say, "Okay, is there something there? Or are we just still trying to pick at stuff? I mean, obviously, that's our job to do it. We get paid to do it. But at what point for you do you have to look at it and say, "Okay, maybe there's a little something going on here?
0: Yeah, I I thought in the five-game homestand, I cut them some slack. They played a lot of hockey, obviously had done remarkably well to get to where they were in the standings. But You know, didn't love the way that they beat teams like Arizona and Chicago. They had the lead on Toronto and let it get away. Um, And then there was the St. Louis and the Columbus games. And ultimately, I just thought, like, okay, this team needs the All-Star break. Um, Let the guys that are going to Toronto do their thing. Let the other guys that are scattering for a little bit of sunshine clear their heads. And let's see as they come back here. But really, when I've watched three games now out of the All-Star break, again, they have a win, a loss, and now an OTL. So a little bit of everything. And just, I'm still seeing these lapses in the game. And I know it's impossible to play a perfect game. This is pro sports. The other team's trying to do, you know, good things on its side as well. So I know that the Canucks can play better than they have out of the All-Star break here. Uh, the Elias Lindholm thing, I think, you know, he's still trying to find his spot. I, I noticed him for the right reasons in this game. Like, I, I you know, he...
1: He wasn't minus four.
0: (laughs) No, he definitely wasn't minus four, and he didn't score like he did the two goals uh, in Carolina the other night. But there were some moments um, when I looked at his game. uh, You know, he again plays up over 21 minutes, so he's getting opportunities here. He had three goals. He had three shots and three hits. uh, Took 15 face-offs. But there's, you know, I think he's still trying to – he was on a different line today with Miller and Besser. So, you know, there is some experimentation going – but they're just, they kind of feel like they're 80% of their, their best selves right now. And some nights that's going to be enough to beat good teams. But we also said, coming out of the All-Star break, Carolina, Boston, Detroit, and even into Washington. Like, you know, that's a four, uh, four games and six nights against four decent opponents. And so, yeah, I mean, the Canucks are getting tested right now. And, you know, no shame in picking up three points in the three games they've played. But they've set the bar higher for themselves. And... They're not quite measuring up in the here and now. So, uh, again, quick turnaround, more challenges. You'd assume that they go back to uh, Thatcher Demko after Casey DeSmith's start. We'll talk more about uh, DeSmith's afternoon and just sort of his role in all of this as well as we carry on. 4-3 in overtime, the Red Wings defeat the Vancouver Canucks, as we mentioned. Back-to-back losses for the first time in a while. Canucks are 2-1-2 and now in their last five hockey games, so... Uh, that's two wins in five and just one regulation win in the last five games. Again, I think that kind of speaks to where we we were just talking. that, like, If that's your toughest five-game stretch of the season, then you're doing all right. But with one regulation win in five, that's kind of not who this group has proven to be for much of this year. So let's see what happens against the Capitals and then on to Chicago before they come home for two against the Red Wings and the Winnipeg Jets. rink Vancouver is brought to you in part by Seagram's VO. Now, Seagram's was originally introduced back in the early 1900s. Seagram's VO was designed as a wedding gift from Joseph E. Seagram for his son. Barrels were set aside in the warehouse, specifically marked VO, the family's very own whiskey. Now, Joseph apparently liked it so much, decided, hey, the rest of the world should have a chance at it. So he put it on the market... And the rest was history. And Seagram's VO went on to become one of the most successful whiskeys ever to come from this country. Now, you can get your hands on it as well. We certainly would encourage you to do so. Seagram's VO Select is available in select BC Liquor Stores. So you can visit the BC Liquor store website and check it out there. Or you can find it in your nearest liquor store. Make it your very own. 4-3 Wings Down, the Vancouver Canucks, Elias Pedersen, Philip Hironik. And Nils Hoaglander, the goal scorers for the Vancouver Canucks, who will pack up and move on to take on Washington on Sunday. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. 4-3, the Canucks fall in overtime in Detroit. It's Jeff and it's Earth with you, rink Vancouver. Going to hear from the head coach in a moment, uh, Elias Pettersson as well, but uh, we haven't really talked about Casey DeSmith, Erf, and uh, he gets a rare start here, his first since the All-Star break. Uh, something I've been charting, uh, and look, the record is impeccable, and we we know that he's been a great addition to the Vancouver Canucks, but uh, came into this game with just one win since Christmas, and he leaves this game with just one win since Christmas. Now, <laughs> he, he gets another point. He's delivered a point in four of his five starts since Christmas, so there's just been the one outright loss. And that was to Philadelphia in the first game out of the Christmas break. Otherwise, he's finding ways to pick up points, but he's not delivering victories. And I look at the goals that were scored here. You know, we talked about the first one. That's on Tyler Myers. That's not on Casey DeSmith. Yeah. You're expecting your D-man to make a play in the first minute of the hockey game. And then the strong one is, you know, a bang-bang play on the power play. I'm not going to hold the goaltender at fault there. And Rasmussen, that's a deflection. And then a penalty shot. It was a nice shot by Wallman. So I'm not sure that there was a bad goal among the bunch, but... Four goals is probably one too many. What do you make of Casey DeSmith's afternoon at Little Caesars?
1: I think up three one. You should this team not not just DeSmith, but this this team should be able to close out that hockey game. Having said that, you know you can't really fault them on the other two on 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 the other two goals there, and then the penalty shot. You know it's what's one versus one, and you know Wallstrom got the better of them there, but. Uh, The record, the numbers that you're charting, obviously, one win since Christmas. I mean, there's something there, right? Whether it's, you know, he's just getting bad luck or not. The bounces aren't going his way. But at some time, some point, you're going to want your goalie, if the backup's in net, you know, to have to make a save. You know, up 3-1, I really do believe that you should be able to, as a team. Now, it's not just onto Smith, but as a team, win this hockey game.
0: What's your sense? Like, I would imagine weekend back-to-backs that – you go back oh, to Demko yeah. on Sunday. You think DeSmith gets the Chicago
1: games to wrap, to wrap up the road trip? No.
0: No. I think
1: they're gonna go Demko Demko. Um, I think that you get Demko back in and if you win, if you win against the uh, Washington Capitals tomorrow, then maybe, but I think it would be Demko, Demko, come home, and then we just you just ride Demko for a little bit until the next opportunity for DeSmith again. See, and this is like I, I wonder like there's going to be
0: a temptation to play Demco just about every game against yeah. all these contenders in the West that they still have to face. And they're going to need to Smith. Like he's going to have to play games. Uh, he's going to have to face some good teams somewhere along the line. And this Detroit team was a good team. Like, their highest-scoring team in the East. Not a surprise that they were able to get four goals. And so, I'm with you. I, I, like It's hard to knock him on the goals that got in, but with a 3-1 lead, you would yeah. like to have seen the piece of plywood go up against uh, across the net there and not let anything else in and just get out of Detroit with a win. But that didn't happen for the Vancouver Canucks. And obviously, the head coach, not thrilled with the outcome, Rick Tockett, on uh, a couple of uh, breakdowns for his hockey club that led... Uh, to the lead getting away i thought we were in control of the game a couple of turnovers um yeah in our net so we got to, we got to learn with the pressure to start this even more you got to lock these games down and i thought there was a couple of turnovers when we shouldn't have to have turnovers just got to get the puck in deep and, and box out you got to box out too sorry you're starting to hear this from the coach in a lot of his post-game remarks now where he is you know sort of underscoring the notion that other teams are ramping things up around the Vancouver Canucks and they're going to have to find a way to, to, sort of match it. And, and I would say for the better part of a couple of weeks now that their game hasn't shown sort of that urgency uh, necessary, but uh, you know, you can hear it from Rick Tocchet that again, he'll take the single point. Every point's a good point for the Canucks. It gets them a point closer to, you know, clinching a playoff spot, but it's the turnovers and the boxing out, as he said, and, and, you know, we talked about the Rasmussen goal. You can't just allow a guy to get to the front of the net without uh, taking a stick or trying to get
1: position on him. And so uh, you could sort of hear the the frustration of the head coach there. No, absolutely. And, I mean, look, I, I mean, me put this to you. Like, do you think it's at the point now where we're kind of in, like, the little bit of the dog days of the season? And this team yep. has just been so good for so long and they've built up so many points where it's, it's not hard to get up for a National Hockey League game because you should because you're a professional. You're making a lot of money. But Saturday afternoon, you know, Super Bowl weekend, the Detroit Red Wings, and you play Washington. you got two afternoon games. You have all these points. Like, it's a little bit, maybe a little bit more difficult to get up for some of these. No, I think that there is uh, an element of that. And now there's yeah. 30 to go. You know, I,
0: I, what's it going to take? Is it going to take, you know, Vegas, Creeping within a couple of points of the Canucks for top spot in the division. Like, they should be on high alert, but it is a long season. And you had six guys that were at the All-Star break, so they didn't get the same break that, you know, everybody else around the National Hockey League got. And um, who knows what it is, but again, they're going to have to kind of shake this little funk that they're in. Um, And I, you know, I, I, I say funk. The fact that they've picked up three points in three games coming out of the All-Star break, uh, it sort of, again, tells you that expectations have risen around this Vancouver club because uh, it, they're getting their points. They're just not winning with the frequency that they were uh, for long stretches earlier this season. Rick Taka was asked if he expected more of a response after the 4 nothing loss in Boston. He kind of pushed back and thought that no, oh, the response was fine. It was just closing out a three-one lead that uh, ultimately didn't happen for his hockey club. We're up three to one. we you know they we get, they had a bunch of power plays. we were in the game. We made two turnovers. I thought we played a pretty good game other than a couple of guys with turnovers. And we didn't box out on one of the goals. It's just you can't throw the you know the whole game because of that. No, I disagree. I thought it was a I thought it was a good response. I just think we. Made about four plays that you should make when you're up three to one. So there you go. He goes back to talking about uh, the same thing that, uh, you know, sometimes it's just the fundamentals, little things that you got to just make sure those habits, the staples that he always harps on. And a few of those uh, went by the wayside for the Canucks. And it's the NHL. You make mistakes. Teams are more often than not going to make you pay. Uh, we saw some different looks for the Canucks. Uh, people have been screaming for. Hoaglander get an opportunity for Mikhaev to drop lower in the lineup for something to get the attention of Elias Pettersson to make him better than he was the other night and has been for a little while. Uh, And that line of Suter and Hoaglander with Pettersson responsible... uh, for two of the goals certainly the Hironic goal comes at the end of the penalty kill out of the penalty box so a bit of a, a broken play if you will in that regard but still Elias Pettersson in on all of the scoring for the Vancouver Canucks as was Philip Hironic we'll get to the three stars here momentarily but uh, Elias Pettersson was asked after the game about uh, sometimes you know is a change just a, a a necessary thing in a long hockey season and did he welcome the fact that uh, he had a couple of different line mates yeah I mean maybe it's good once in a while um just to get some new looks and uh, playing with some new is but yeah, I think just a little shake it up after. The Both ways. just excited to play with each other and uh, yeah, he's trying to gain energy from each other. So, I mean, we talked about just working hard and see how it goes tonight and
1: that's all we can control.
0: There you go. The Canucks shaking things up. And uh, for a while there, it looked like it was going to work for them. But uh, unfortunately, unable to close out the Detroit Red Wings, 4-3 in overtime, the final score. Post-game audio from the Vancouver Canucks locker room here on Rinkwide Vancouver, a presentation of Mr. Lube. And, uh... I don't know, for a while there, you know, the Canucks looked like they needed to tune up and uh, talk it, uh, made the necessary adjustments, but uh, back to the drawing board, I suppose, on Sunday. But uh, Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian, pioneers of the no-appointment oil change, the oil changes are warranty approved, and now providing tire service and sales with no-appointment needed, 16 locations in the Lower Mainland for one near you. Visit the website, mrlube.com. All right, if you ready for the rank-wide Vancouver three-star selection here? A couple of strong individual performances uh, from Philip Heronik and Elias Petterson. The three stars is selected by the media in Motown. Jake Wallman with the winner. He is the number one star. Uh, Pettersson and Heronik are stars two and three, and it's kind of hard to argue with that. I mean, Jake Wallman gets the winner, but he also had the primary assist on the Rasmussen goal, so he's in on the tying goal and scores the winner. 11 goals for him on the season now. So Jake Wallman having a nice season there for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, I've got him as the, I'll throw him the bone, uh, scoring the overtime winner. I uh, we'll go with Wallman as the first star. I think he got, a, it was a homecoming of sorts for Philip Heronik. And, uh, I'm glad that they gave him a little bit of love there, but I, I am putting him ahead of Elias Pettersson, uh, on the rink wide three stars. Heronik with the goal is fourth of the year and, uh, two helpers as well. So, uh, he had been a little quiet in point production the uh, last couple of weeks, but uh, big afternoon for him. And uh, I've got Philip Roenick as the second star. Uh, Elias Pettersson is star number three.
1: Had absolutely no problem with that. I mean, I think in the building, they didn't want to give Roenick the second star, probably. So, <laughs> <laughs> in the homecoming to Detroit there. But, yeah, I mean, look... I, it was about time that, you know, Rona came out and, and, and had a game, and it was nice to see in him, in his former uh, building where where he had a lot of success. So you hope that, you know, he's able to carry that. And I think the the bigger picture, as you mentioned, Elias Pettersson, the third star in the three points, that's got to feel good for him. So you hope that he can get on a run here as a lot of maybe some of his other teammates and then top six forwards can continue that as well.
0: And we just got to make note as well, Patrick Kane back in the lineup, for game yeah. number twelve hundred in the National Hockey League, and David Perron kind of gets overshadowed because on the day that Perron plays his eleven hundredth game, he's like, "Oh yeah, Kane's got a hundred on me here. He's playing uh, twelve hundred over there." But uh, interesting that two guys reach that sort of those sort of milestones on the same afternoon. So a couple of guys that have been to the top of the mountain have been at this for a long, long time. And Patrick Kane picked up an assist in the game. He wasn't. That active in his 17 minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, when you think of all he's been through with the hip injury and coming off uh, a more recent injury, I guess I should cut him a little bit of slack. Maybe I think of him just torching the Canucks a, a decade ago and torching everybody in the NHL, but uh, still going strong. Um, and uh, for David Perron, uh, Perron, actually, they both had assists, so they both found their way onto the score sheet uh, on the afternoon that they were uh, saluted for games 1,200 and 1,100 in the National Hockey League. Still ahead here, uh, we'll get to our staff that stands out. In fact, we've got a couple of them. We've got uh, some listener feedback. We'll get your thoughts on what you saw uh, from the Vancouver Canucks, what was missing ultimately, and uh, a thought or two on the next opponent, the Washington Capitals on Super Bowl Sunday. It's Jeff and Irf with you. You're listening to Rink-Wide Vancouver. All right, Irf, We've had our say. You've heard from coaches and players now as well. We always like to hear what the people have to say, our loyal listeners. So we'll get to some feedback here in a moment. But before then, we'll get to the stat that stands out, and uh, I, I've mentioned this on past episodes. Again, I just think with all the firepower the Vancouver Canucks have, I am amazed that their record beyond regulation now drops to three and six on the season. So their overtime games actually decided in overtime. They're three and four, so they still lost more than they've won when. Uh, games have been decided three on three, or in this case, one-on-one. On one. Uh, and then there's the two shootouts and they have yet to win a shootout, uh, this season. So that's a stat that stands out to me, three and six in games settled beyond regulation time for the Vancouver Canucks.
1: Wow. I got one for you. Just perusing. Jake Wallman, the fourth defenseman in NHL history to score an overtime winner on a penalty shot and the first in Red Wings history. So Really? They, yeah. Defensemen probably don't get that far up on the ice in, in overtime. That's one. But, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Just the fourth to score an OT winner on a penalty shot. Um, interesting one there, yeah.
0: Huh. Yeah, no, that uh, definitely a stat that stands out as well. All right, uh, to the listeners we go. Travis, I think the Canucks were the better team today, considering the way it was officiated. This is a hard road trip based on opponents and the 10 a.m. back-to-backs. So... I'm happy with being 500. Uh, again, challenges, and every team's got them at different points in their schedule, and this is one of them for the Canucks, and he outlined a, a few of them there. Uh, Surrey Ryan says, many opportunities to put it away when we were up 3-1. to one. Lost that second point all on our own. Afternoon game strikes again. Uh, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but it it is funny. I mean, for whatever reasons. And, you know, I see people, oh, you know, the 10 a.m. start, The Canucks have been out east for a week. Like, they're on eastern time. It was a one o'clock start at uh, Little Caesars, and it was the same for the Red Wings as well. And at three to one, nobody was complaining about the early start time. But uh, it is funny seeing it through to the end. The Vancouver Canucks do struggle with these early starts. And, you know, that may be a little foreboding considering they have another one on Sunday. And if people haven't looked that far ahead, we keep talking about what's coming up on the schedule when they come off the road. They're home for two. And then they go to Minnesota and it's President's Day in the states on Monday the 15th I think it is. Uh Family Day here in Canada, but they've got another early start uh, in the next handful of games against the Minnesota Wild. So no excuses, it's on the schedule, you got to find a way and uh, the Canucks haven't quite found a way to get it done now. Uh, the record is what 2 and 2 I think in early starts on the season. They got the win in Chicago, they got the win in Buffalo. And uh, I guess the Columbus game was an early start as well. So, uh, no, tack that one. Another loss in these uh, early starts for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Guy says, third time this season that we basically got screwed out of an OT. The other two were non-calls on cross-checks in front of the net. Uh, There has been a lot of drama in overtime. I'll I'll give (laughs) him that when you think of... Rangers and Elias Pettersson thought he had tripped up there. The St. Louis Blues game, he thought he got cross checked in front of the net and Braden Shen scored. And and then a cross checking kind of penalty shot call in this one. So, yeah, a little there have been some strange developments in these overtimes as well. When I throw out the numbers, uh, context matters. And uh, whatever the case, uh, this one goes into the books as a 4 3 overtime loss. Cranky Canuck fan says the Canucks seem to think they have more time and space than they really have. And it feels like they're easily thrown off their game by a team with hustle. Uh, mm. I'm not sure. I, there have been some times, like, you know, the way Philadelphia's played them, they've played them hard, obviously, beat them twice. St. Louis seems to give the Canucks uh, all that they can handle and have been able to beat the Canucks twice as well. I don't know if the Canucks were thrown off by hustle. I just thought they kind of let their foot off the gas a little bit in that third period. And it's the NHL, and you just can't do that. you got to play right through to the final buzzer. I mean, a two-goal two, a two goal lead in the third, they've been money with those all season long. Um, you know, so you can't sit here and say, oh, they don't know how to play with the lead or they get spooked by the lead. They have led an awful lot this season. They just didn't lead uh, long enough in this hockey game and ultimately it got away from them.
1: Yeah, no, and I mean, look, the hustle thing is there. I think the book on the Canucks from some of the teams that have beaten them and beaten them well was it's the physicality, it's it's they don't like being leaned on and, and things like that. It's Elias Pettersson, you know, if you hit him enough, you maybe get off his game. But they out hit the Red Wings in this game. So I mean, the hustle was there. You know, it was, it was just errors from from the Canucks in, in the third period, and one that they'll look at on tape very quickly, I assume, is they get to sure. wash this one away and have to play Washington tomorrow. But. You'll definitely look to see them erase some of those mistakes that that they made against the Red Wings.
0: Adam says they had their chances to put the Wings away late in the second period with the power play, but couldn't cash in. And from there, he felt the comeback was inevitable. And Dietlebug says, power play, lots of good-looking passes, but passes don't count for goals. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the power play went 0 for 3. I thought it generated and you know created looks. And usually... Uh, that group, the first unit power play guys, you create enough looks, you're going to find a way. Didn't happen for them. I was encouraged, like compared to the other night against Boston, where, you know, forgot the shorthanded goals even, just the power play in terms of responding and getting something back for the Canucks just didn't seem to have it. I actually thought they snapped it around reasonably well here in this hockey game, but just weren't able to, to connect. And so, you know, maybe it's a silver lining. Uh, yeah. People don't want the moral victories, but I didn't think that... I mean, at the end of the day, you can say, hey, a one-goal game, Detroit scored a power play goal, the Canucks didn't, the Red Wings win the special teams battle, they win the hockey game, all that is true and fair, but I didn't think this was a case where the power play wasn't invested or it wasn't on, it just didn't finish, and sometimes that happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, we joked about... The missed or the twenty total chances from Brock and, uh-huh. and and JT in this game, and the Brock missed nets. I think all four of them were on the power play. I think they were all on that one power play where he just couldn't <laughs> hit the net from the tie. And I, you know, I think you're laughing because we know exactly what we're talking about. You yeah. just hear it hit the back of the glass every single time. But again, it, look, if he hits the net on some of them, maybe there's a rebound, the puck goes in. There's a, a lot different there. But I also agree with you. I am encouraged on the power play there. They just didn't score.
0: Well, and even to that point, like in a three-all tie. There was that crazy scramble yeah. where more insider is, you know, pulling the goalie's leg back to ensure Smart that somehow move. the fuck does. It was no, absolutely. It was, um, the net cam, like a great view there. Like, they got the puck to the goal line, they just didn't get it across. So, again, it was, it turned out to be one of those afternoons where the power play couldn't be the difference maker that the Vancouver Canucks wanted. You know, and that's two games in a row that the power play hasn't scored, didn't get scored on, so maybe that's a step in the right direction. But uh, whatever the case, the, the power play does have to find a way to be a difference maker for the Vancouver Canucks, and it wasn't in this game against the Red Wings. So... Quick turnaround now. We'll uh, have to wait and see what the league seems to think about uh, Nikita Zadorov. Is that going to necessitate any sort of lineup moves for the Vancouver Canucks? Uh, Whatever the case, it's uh, the end of a tough stretch here for these guys that, you know, the ones that got away for the All-Star break all of a sudden to jump back in with four games and really and two afternoon games, so less than six nights. You know, what will they have in the tank here? And, you know, a little bit of a break just in as much as Washington is still playing as we record this in Boston, and then they've got to go home. So it's going to be two ter- two teams that are both playing back-to-back, and uh, we shall see. It'll be uh, I mean, any game against OV. There won't be many of them left uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, that's always going to be a storyline, even the struggles that he's had, but he's into double digits now. But uh, also, uh, first look at old friend Ethan Baer on defense. For the Washington Capitals on Sunday.
1: Yes, absolutely. It should be fun. And uh apparently the Washington Capitals want a first round pick for Nick Dowd, former thank you for Canucks. So another one that's interesting. But yes, Ethan Baer will, will, will be the one there. I mean, he obviously went and got his bag, and I have absolutely no problem with NHL players going to do that. Take care of your family and, and your loved ones and things like that. So it should be, the Canucks were never going to pay him that much money, but yeah, it'll be a fun one. And I think the OV store, store storyline never gets old to me. I mean, look, he's obviously chasing Gordy House record and things like that, and it's always it's always fun to see when the Canucks play against the Great Eight.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that they're going to see Darcy Camper in goal. Uh, he's yeah. backing up in Boston. Charlie Lindgren getting the start there. So as uh, we try to figure out. Uh, A little bit of lineup news, Uh, we'll have to wait and see, but like this one on Saturday, Sunday's game, uh, an early start in Vancouver, so there probably won't be a whole lot of lineup information until the Canucks hit the ice for a warm-up. Slow start. And then a good second period, unfortunately, uh, let it all get away. A 3-1 lead disappears on the Vancouver Canucks, and they fall by a score of 4-3 in overtime. Jake Wallman on the penalty shot, 23 seconds into OT. The Red Wings defeat the Vancouver Canucks 4-3. Same teams will meet at Rogers Arena on Thursday. For Erfandu this is Jeff Patterson. You've got Super Bowl plans on Sunday, so you're leaving me. Leave me and leave us with a Super Bowl pick then. <laughs> What do you got for Sunday?
1: Hart says 49ers, but I can't bet against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I'm going Chiefs plus three and a half. I'm even going to put give him a couple more points. That's that, <laughs> That's right. it. Chiefs plus three and a half. I can't bet against Mahomes. Did it against Brady once. I'll never do it again. And Mahomes is kind of trajectory. The way his career going is kind of looking that way as well. All right. Well, enjoy
0: your Super Bowl Sunday. We'll uh, catch up with you uh, down the line for Earth. This is Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver.